Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. guys and welcome to the moms and murder podcast a true crime podcast featuring myself mandy and my dear friend melissa hi melissa hi mandy how are you i'm good i'm hot is this the dog days are we in the dog days <laughs> i feel like every freaking day is the dog days of summer we're near the end of well when this comes out it'll be august so some people will be getting ready for fall and we'll still have three <laughs> to four months but yeah. <laughs> it's getting there yeah, it's. I feel like August is definitely one of the hottest months yeah. that we have, and it's already just been mm-hmm. so hot. And I just mean that honestly and truly. It has been steaming hot. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely miserable, like, to go outside, like, to bring your trash out. To do which anything. Which I hate doing. It's crazy. I tried um, to go for a walk this morning. I've been trying to go in the morning because I was going you in the fool. evening. But in the uh, evening, it's been get- – it's just way too humid. So I thought, mm-hmm. well, maybe I'll go in the morning, like, when it's still a little bit – cooler, you know, from the night. And that still didn't even work. Even at 7.30 a.m., I was sweating bullets because it's just so hot and humid. It's crazy. It is. My daughter's running like a mile tonight for tryouts for volleyball and they're running it outside. It's like at 6.30. And she was like, mom, did you look at what the temperature is going to be? It's like 92. (laughs) I'm like, that's Florida, baby. This is just what it is. So I'm like, yeah, they're, they're toughing you up. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring it now. I'll take anything. We haven't had any hurricanes, which is good. This turned into a full weather report. Yeah. (laughs) Knock on everything. But like normally by this time, I'm fully panicked. I'm not even following that many meteorologists right now. Wow. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Big step for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, goodness. All right, Mandy. All right. So we'll get into the story for this week. Um, Before we do get into it, though, we just want to let you guys know that there is a mention of a violent crime against a child in the story. That is not the focus of the episode this week, and it's not something that we're going to focus on, but it does briefly come up as a relevant part of the story. So just a heads up that you will hear talk about something that we don't usually talk about on this podcast. Um, So the story this week is actually really sad, but it's also kind of a cautionary tale and just a reminder that we all need to be really careful when we meet new friends and let new people into our lives. And that's not to say that we shouldn't ever trust a stranger or ever try to make friends with anybody, but it's just that it's impossible to know somebody's whole story after one or two interactions with them. I am really, really guilty of thinking that everybody wants to also be my best friend. I don't think you suffer from the same thing. Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I don't do. at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I am very, I don't want to say naive, but I guess that would be one way of describing my, like, I'm just very trusting of people. And you I are. always think that people have the best intentions and in that if someone is talking nicely to me, I'm assuming that they are actually nice and they're being nice to me. And I forget that people like put on an act sometimes and like mm-hmm. that might not be their true intentions. And then when I find out like that th- that person was maybe not being totally honest about how they felt about me, then it like cr- it's like soul crushing, right? Because I'm like, wait a minute, like I thought we were <laughs> like everything yeah. was fine. So I'm very, um, I always have to remind myself about this to kind of just be aware of situations yeah. when I meet new people and not trust everybody. I'm very opposite where I like, if somebody's nice to me, I'm like, why are they being nice to me? I have done nothing for them to be nice to me. I don't trust this person. And a lot of times they're just nice people, but I'm like, "Mm, nope, being too nice to me, red flag. (laughs) (laughs) We should meet in the middle somewhere. Yeah, there you go. I feel like I need, yeah, I feel like you need a little from my cup and I need a little bit from your cup. (laughs) There you go. So it was Monday, April 16th, 2012, when officials at Fort Bragg in North Carolina called the police to alert them that one of their soldiers, named Kelly Bordeaux, had failed to report to work that morning. Kelly's commanding officer knew right away that something was wrong because Kelly was a very responsible person and a dedicated soldier who had never and would never miss a day of work. Kelly had only been in the Army for about a year and only at Fort Bragg for about five months. But spending time in the service was something that she aspired to do after her grandfather, a veteran, encouraged her. She worked as a health service specialist at a military base hospital, assigned to the 601st Area Support Medical Company, the 261st Multifunctional Medical Battalion, and the 44th Medical Brigade. She hoped to one day become an officer. Kelly wasn't the stereotypical type of woman that you might think of being in the military. She was very tiny, very petite, standing about five foot one and weighing just 102 pounds with blonde hair and brown eyes. She was very pretty and she was accustomed to getting a lot of attention from guys. Kelly was originally from St. Cloud, Florida, which is not too far from where we are. She was born there in 1988 and was the youngest of three kids born to her mom, Jonna. In high school, Kelly was a cheerleader and a beauty queen. She was very popular. She graduated from St. Cloud High School and started taking classes at Valencia College for dental hygiene, but at some point, she met a man that caught her attention named Mike Bordeaux. Mike knew from the moment he laid eyes on Kelly that she was something really special, and for him, it was love at first sight. The couple got married when they were still in their early 20s, but three months into their marriage, Kelly decided to enlist in the Army. Mike wasn't really a huge fan of this idea. He didn't want to lose Kelly or have to go through what couples go through in deployments or really spend time away from her. 
but Kelly said she really felt like it was her calling to enlist, so she did. She was stationed at Fort Bragg, and she moved from Florida to North Carolina in November of 2011. Mike went on to move there the next month in December, and they decided to live in an apartment off base. Kelly was described as being a vibrant person. One friend even said that although she was really small in stature, she had the heart of a giant. But although Kelly was thrilled to be in the Army, the stress of moving to a new state and trying to start their new lives together really put a strain on Kelly and Mike's new marriage. By April of 2012, Kelly was really fed up with Mike's heavy drinking, and she was frustrated with his struggles to find work in North Carolina. Kelly needed to take a break, and so the couple decided to have a trial separation. Kelly would be staying in North Carolina, and Mike would go home to Florida for a while. For Mike, he believed this was going to be a completely temporary situation, and his end goal was always to stay married to Kelly but he wanted to respect her need for space. Sometimes you hear in these trial separations, like somebody, you know, is separated and you know it's ultimately going to divorce. But for him, it was like, I really want to try this. If she needs space, that's what I'm going to do. I'll do whatever I need to do. And they were really young in their early 20s and they had already moved, you know, it was such a big move for Kelly to join the army and to have to move to a new state and for him to go with her. And so I can kind of understand why he was thinking like, maybe what we need is a little bit of space between us. And so we can kind of both figure out what it is that we're doing and then we can come back together and be a stronger couple. So it sounds like that's kind of where he was going with this. Absolutely. But what Mike didn't know was that Kelly really had already moved on. She had been having an affair with someone she knew back in Florida from before she joined the Army, and this affair had been going on for over a year. His name was Justin Thompson, and he'd made such an impression on Kelly that she was actually planning on divorcing her husband, Mike, who meanwhile has no idea that Kelly's seeing someone else. Kelly first met Justin in a bar in Florida, and he was instantly attracted to her. Kelly didn't have a ring on that night, but one of her friends let it slip that she was actually married. But Justin didn't really seem to care and felt like it wasn't really his problem. By April of 2012, the relationship between them was pretty serious. They had essentially conspired to kick Mike out and to send him back home to Florida. Kelly insisted that she and Mike were done and Justin was going to move in with Kelly. The plan was for Kelly to divorce Mike and then get married to Justin, which meanwhile, when I was first learning about this story, I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to kill Mike because in these stories, it's always like affair, murder. And this is just like, no, I just want to move on and do something different. Right. So shortly after Mike moved back to Florida, Justin went to North Carolina to visit Kelly. While he was in town, they went to a local bar near Kelly's apartment called Froggy Bottoms. And that night, Justin and Kelly met a guy named Nick, who took a liking to Kelly and tried to befriend her. Nick gave Kelly his phone number, which she really didn't think anything of because, of course, she's there with Justin. So she thought it was pretty obvious that she was only interested in talking to Nick or hanging out with him as a friend. After Justin went back to Florida, Nick asked Kelly if she wanted to hang out, and he invited her to meet up at the Froggy Bottoms bar, and she agreed. But Kelly didn't realize that she and Nick actually were not on the same page. She was thinking this was just friends hanging out, but Nick was actually thinking that he was taking Kelly on a date. Kelly had no problem even letting her boyfriend Justin know that she was meeting up with Nick at Froggy Bottoms. And I guess that kind of speaks to the fact that she really thought that this was just hanging out with some new person, you know, that they had met. 
But when she told Justin about her plans to go meet up with him, he was really alarmed and put off by the whole thing. And not just because Kelly was going to hang out with another guy by herself, but also because he genuinely felt like something was just off about Nick. He actually told Kelly that she should be afraid of Nick because he was creepy, and he told Kelly to bring her pepper spray along with her that night just in case. Nick picked Kelly up at her home and drove her to Froggy Bottoms at about 8 p.m. They played pool and sang karaoke, and at about 12.46 on April the 14th now, her boyfriend Justin received a text from Kelly's phone that said Nick was about to take her home, and a short time later she sent, got home safe, I'm going to bed, call me tomorrow. But when Kelly didn't answer her phone the next day or for the rest of the weekend, Justin felt that sinking feeling you get when you just know something is wrong. And we're going to get into more of the story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Everything is more expensive these days. So how do I earn cash back on things I'm already buying? Easy. I use Upside. Upside is the free app that allows you to earn money back on things you're already buying. And compared to your credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can actually earn three times more cash back with Upside. To get started, you just need to download the free Upside app. Use our promo code MOMS and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. After that, you scroll through your offers and claim whatever you're buying on Upside. And by claim, I mean you literally click a button that says claim. It's truly that easy. Then you pay as usual with your credit or debit card and get paid. In the past two days, I've used Upside for both gas as well as lunch from Huey Magoo's. For gas, I earned 24 cents a gallon cash back, and for Huey Magoo's, I got 17% off my order. And I plan to use the cash back I'm getting on something fun, like more food, of course. It truly could not be easier. If it was difficult, to be honest, I wouldn't be using it. But with Upside, you are on your way to earning cash back on things you're already doing with just a few clicks. It's easy to see why Upside has a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use promo code MOMS to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code MOMS. In the wise words of Parks and Recreation's April Ludgate, time is money, money is power, power is pizza, and pizza is knowledge. And as much as that sentence really cracks me up, there is some truth to it. As business owners, we know that our time is valuable, so we're always looking for ways to save time and money, and we do that with Stamps.com. Stamps.com has been an indispensable part of over 1 million businesses for more than 20 years, and that's because with Stamps.com, you can be up and running in just minutes, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send it. All you need is your regular computer and printer. There's no other special supplies or equipment needed. Stamps.com is such an amazing resource for us. I save loads of time every month by being able to send out all our Patreon perks and cards for my house while multitasking 10 other things. I'm able to keep Patreon perks going out in a timely manner because I'm never having to coordinate my day to make a run to the post office. So whether you're sending out Patreon perks like us or working with Shopify, Amazon, Etsy, eBay, or more, Stamps.com is able to save you so much time and money that you can't get anywhere else, like up to 30% off USPS rates and 86% off UPS. That's right, you have access to both USPS and UPS services right at your fingertips. Don't mail and ship the hard way. Sign up with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code MOMSANDMURDER for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code MOMSANDMURDER. 
Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about Kelly Bordeaux and how she and her new boyfriend, Justin, had recently met this new friend named Nick at a local bar called Froggy Bottoms. Justin, who, as we said before, lived in Florida was no longer in town when Nick invited Kelly to hang out at this bar again on April 13th. Although Justin got a text from Kelly that said she was home safe, she never answered the phone the next day or for the whole weekend, which set off warning bells and made Justin very, very concerned for Kelly's safety. Justin told Kelly's family that he thought something was wrong, and so he called the police on Saturday and on Sunday, but much to his frustration, he wasn't taken seriously about Kelly being missing until Monday. And this was the same day that Kelly didn't report to work. Fort Bragg officials reported her missing and her description was released to the public. It was known that Kelly was last seen wearing a pink tube top, black shorts, and bedazzled flip-flops because she had taken a photo of herself before she went out that night. A search was immediately launched to find Kelly. There were ground searches as well as helicopters that were used to search in back swamps between the bar and I-295. More than 50 police officers and 60 soldiers searched a heavily wooded area off Ramsey Street, as well as a pond that was about eight miles away. Kelly's husband, Mike, remember he's back in Florida and has no idea that Kelly is seeing Justin. He has no idea who Nick is. Um, all of this at the time of her disappearance. He comes to North Carolina and is helping in the search for Kelly. Her family also traveled to North Carolina to pass out flyers and help search for her. So in the early stages of the investigation, the police, of course, went to the Froggy Bottoms bar and spoke to the employees and patrons, as well as looking at the surveillance footage from that night. 
They did see that Kelly and Nick were there all night, and it looked as though Kelly was having a really great time. She was dancing around and being friendly and just overall really enjoying her night out. By all accounts, Kelly was not drunk when they left the bar. The footage showed that Kelly and Nick left at about 1.20 a.m., and then Nick returned to the bar alone later, which does make sense if he took Kelly home and then decided to just go back to the bar. Sure. But that is where the mystery begins. The police looked into Kelly's phone records and found that her cell phone last pinged off a tower near the bar and near I-295, not at her house, which is where Nick was supposed to have dropped her off. After learning the identity of the man that Kelly was with, Nick Holbert, the police tracked him down to ask him about that night and what happened after he left the bar with Kelly. He told them that he dropped her off at the entrance to her place, which was about a quarter of a mile from her actual apartment. And he said Kelly told him to drop her off there, and he didn't really question her. He was thinking maybe somebody was at her apartment that she didn't want him to see. So he left, and that was the last time he said he saw Kelly. He said he didn't have anything at all to do with her disappearance, though. Nick also spoke to the media and said that he and Kelly were at the bar that night. He gave her a ride home, dropped her off at the entrance to her neighborhood, and left. And he pleaded with the public to help with any information about where Kelly might be. And he even went out and joined the search himself as well. Almost instantly, Kelly's husband, Mike, became a suspect in her disappearance. But it was really hard to tie him to anything sinister because he you know, has this really airtight alibi. He was in Florida visiting his family on the night of Kelly's disappearance in North Carolina. And who's going to make up being in Florida? Like, that's right. just not an excuse you want to make. You don't even like saying <laughs> right, it. exactly. <laughs> Mike unfortunately found out about Kelly's affair with Justin as a result of this investigation, which, oh my gosh, that had to be so hard for him to find out that yeah. news. Um, the officers actually asked him if he found out that Kelly was having an affair and if maybe that caused him to snap and hurt her because, of course, they're thinking he has something to do with it. Right. Uh, but then that's when Mike said, no, I actually had no idea about any affair. And he told them that he didn't want to hear anything more about it either. He just wanted to find Kelly. He really genuinely just didn't care that she was having the affair at that point. He just wanted to find her safe. As time went on, though, Mike did start to wonder if Kelly's new boyfriend, Justin, might have had something to do with her disappearance. But Mike was kind of fighting his own fight because most of the people in Fayetteville assumed that he was responsible just because he was the estranged husband that didn't even know he was estranged, really. It's like everybody else knew this except for him. In fact, Justin was one of the only people who didn't think that Mike had anything to do with it. He thought all along that it was Nick. And because, as we said, the first time he met Nick, he got like a weird vibe off of him and thought he was creepy. So right off the bat, he's thinking it has to be some, you know, has to be Nick. He thought that Mike was way too emotional and too lovey-dovey to ever hurt Kelly. And he said Mike wasn't a killer. He was the type that thought, you know, he was going to be able to win Kelly back one day, not the type to hurt her. But Fayetteville residents and even the local police still believed that Mike had a hand in his wife's disappearance, even though he was states away and it was Nick Holbert that was the last confirmed person to have seen her. They thought that since Kelly wasn't reported missing until the 16th, that would have given Mike enough time to drive from Florida to North Carolina and back. Even though Kelly's boyfriend, Justin, did try to report her missing over the weekend, I guess they're saying she wasn't officially reported missing until Monday. Because they wouldn't let him. Exactly. About two weeks after Kelly went missing, her husband Mike went on the Today Show and publicly stated that he was suspicious of Nick because his story seemed sketchy. He said if Nick had dropped Kelly off where he said he did, there's no way that she wouldn't have made it to her apartment. He did admit that he had never met Nick and didn't know him prior to this. 
When he was asked about the state of his marriage to Kelly, he said that there was nothing wrong, that they were happy and he was just in Florida visiting his family and nothing more. So that part, I'm sure, to viewers at the time, probably seemed off knowing that Justin was involved. But for him, that's what he thought was going on. Right. So the police didn't have anything to arrest Nick on in the case of Kelly's disappearance. But through the course of investigation, they did find something pretty shocking in his background that led to them arresting him anyway. As it turned out, Kelly's boyfriend Justin had the right idea when he felt that Nick was a dangerous person. And that's because he was. He had actually been convicted of the very serious crime of indecent liberty with a child, as well as one count of child abuse. These charges were brought on Nick when he was just 16 years old himself, but he attacked a young girl on December 22nd, 2002, and the injuries she suffered left her still in a wheelchair 10 years later. Nick was released from prison less than eight years after this heinous offense, and his parole in that case ended on April 8th, 2009. After this, Nick had been living in a makeshift camp in the woods behind the Froggy Bottoms Bar, which was a place that he frequented, and he even did odd jobs there in exchange for meals. So when Kelly disappeared and police looked into Nick and found all of this out, they also saw that he had failed to register as a sex offender. He was then arrested on April 20th and convicted on October 12th, 2012, and sentenced to spend six months in jail. Meanwhile, the owner of the Froggy Bottoms Bar was also arrested on unrelated charges, and the bar closed down a short time later. By May, police had hundreds, if not thousands of tips, and there were still large groups of people searching with as many as 500 people at a time looking for Kelly. At this time, there was an $8,000 reward being offered, but things were slowing down, and by July, Kelly's story was fading out of the spotlight. A year goes by and police still have no new information, but the reward has been bumped up to $25,000. Kelly's family continued to hand out flyers, hold news conferences, they ran a Facebook page, and anything they could to keep her story out there. On May 20th, 2013, the Army declared Kelly legally dead and said that it was a decision they made so that Kelly's family would be able to receive her survivor's benefits. Also in May of 2013, Nick was released from jail on parole. And rumor has it that while he was in jail, he did make some incriminating statements about Kelly's disappearance, but it wasn't actually enough to charge him with anything. So there was this guy named David Marshburn, and he was a private investigator and bounty hunter who heard about Kelly's case and decided to take it on all on his own without telling anyone or being hired by anybody. He just saw this on the news and decided he was going to take this case. David said that from the moment he first saw Nick's interview where he was telling the media that he dropped Kelly off outside of her apartment complex, he just knew that Nick was lying and that he had done something to Kelly. So David started searching for Kelly on his own and had been working on the case the entire time. Within days of Nick being released after he went to jail for not registering as a sex offender, David actually befriended Nick. He later told Crime Watch Daily, I had to be his best friend. I had to be a good friend to him. So David concocted a plan to trick Nick into giving him information. He went to where Nick was living and knocked on the door and just came right out with who he was. He announced himself as a private investigator, but he told Nick that he didn't believe he had anything to do with Kelly's disappearance. Instead, David told Nick he believed him, but he thought that he might be able to help clear his name and, you know, help them be able to find Kelly. So David had a three-stage plan. I have to say I don't really understand his plan, 
because I feel like no. there's too many ways that it just wouldn't work. And also it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So the first stage is that he was going to act like Nick had nothing to do with it. And then he was going to act like maybe Nick did have something to do with it. And lastly, he would tell Nick that he knew he did it. And then Nick would deny it. But I'm like, okay, but how is that a plan? I don't really understand the plan. <laughs> no. <laughs> I guess as long as he understood the plan, it's good to go. Yeah. But like for me and you, when I saw that, I was like, huh. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not following. Not entirely sure how that <laughs> yeah, I'm works. not following. Yeah. Not following. I feel like there's some more steps. Yeah. To go in between there. So so David uh, kind of played into this this idea, this knowledge that Nick really needed money more than anything else in the world. So as long as David kept giving Nick money, Nick would continue to want to see him, whether they talked about Kelly or not. Nick eventually started calling on David for everything he needed. He would sometimes call while David was in the middle of eating dinner with his family and say he needed cigarettes or needed to eat. And David would stop what he was doing and drive an hour away to go give Nick money. I just have to say, I would love to see the day somebody ever called me up and told me they needed me to drive an hour to get them cigarettes. (laughs) Well, I know. And like for him, it's nobody's asking him to do this. He has no idea what the outcome of this could ever be. He thinks this guy's guilty, but he doesn't know if he's guilty. Like he's going on a lot of like what if. Assumptions. Yeah. So after months of faking this friendship, Nick still had not confessed and David was starting to get really frustrated. At one point, he said he was so mad at how close he was getting to a confession that there were times he just wanted to take Nick to a barn somewhere and basically start torturing him. He said he just thought had these like wild ideas about cutting off his fingers until he started talking, like just real torture type stuff. I don't know. Crazy. Real things that, yeah. It's like he said the quiet things out loud. Exactly. Like, nobody needed to know yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so he just kept trying anyway, even though he – he did not act on any of those things, thankfully, but uh, he thought them and he verbalized he, that. He did. And then he told everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So David tried numerous different ruses and one of them almost worked. He tried to convince Nick that he was able to work out a deal with prosecutors, even going so far as to make a fake plea deal and claim that it was real. David said that in this deal, if Nick said where Kelly was, then he would get probation and rehabilitation instead of going to prison, which would be a very sweet deal for someone. So David said Nick would have access to mental health care and get his own apartment where he'd have a computer to work on. So Nick looks over this deal several times and seems to be really considering taking it, which to David was like, well, then he's guilty. Why would you take this deal if, if there was nothing to get a deal from? In the end, though, it didn't work because Nick refused to sign the plea deal because he said he thought the prosecution would just take it back. Honestly, I think it's very good that this deal never came through because I feel like this is one of those coercive things where they would show it in court and be like, somebody who's not even working with us. Yeah, exactly. So good that it didn't work. But David was even more determined than ever to get a confession out of Nick. So he came up with another idea. This time, he was going to tell Nick that he was about to be indicted for Kelly's murder. He wanted to try this because he said he knew the average person knows very little about indictments, so it would be easy to really trick Nick about this because it was already a hard topic to really understand. The funny thing about this is that he also said that he himself didn't know anything about indictments, and that's why he chose that. He's like, I don't know anything about them, so I'm assuming no one else does, and I can just sure. like I can, I can just talk my way through this one. <laughs> That was definitely not mentioned in the three-step plan at all. (laughs) So David makes this fake indictment that led Nick to believe that he was under police surveillance, 
which David played into by doing things like having this bondsman hang out outside of Nick's place that was, you know, like he's riding in a Crown Vic and like looking where this Nick's This is so elaborate. <laughs> it is. And it worked. Nick became paranoid and told David, quote, I told you, man, they're watching me. They're coming after me. They got something, end quote. The more paranoid that Nick got, the more willing he became to sign that fake plea deal from before. He even told David that he would show him where he buried Kelly's body. They started by driving over to Froggy Bottoms, and according to David, Nick was just chomping at the bit to just jump right out of the car and show David where Kelly was. So Nick takes David over to where he'd been living at his camp in the woods, and David asked if he was ready to talk about what happened to Kelly, and Nick said yes. David asked if he had done something to her, and Nick again said yes. Nick said that he and Kelly went to Froggy Bottoms together that night, and at about 1 a.m., she said she was ready to go home. So Kelly paid her tab while Nick goes to the car and waits for her. Apparently, while she's paying her tab, the bartender warned her to be careful with Nick because he was a registered sex offender. And this was news to Kelly. She had no idea. And keep in mind, these bartenders know him. He's been right. living on the back of the property. He's been doing odd jobs, so, so they've gotten to know him as well. So Kelly leaves the bar, and she starts walking home instead of getting into Nick's car. And as she walks past him, Nick says something like, quote, hey, I thought I was taking you home, end quote. And Kelly yells back something profane that let Nick know she was very aware of his past crime. This apparently made him snap, and he runs up behind her, hits her over the head, knocking her unconscious. Nick then put Kelly into his car and drove her to his campsite. And we still have more to get into after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions, even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. Now back to the episode. So before the break, we were just getting into Nick's confession that he is telling to this private investigator, David. This guy, David, is not working for the police. He's just taken this case on completely on his own. He's also a bounty hunter, so I'm sure there's a little something in it for him. But so he is getting Nick to finally confess to what happened that night with Kelly. According to Nick's confession, when he got back to his camp, he took Kelly out of his car and laid her on the ground. 
He told David that he proceeded to remove her clothing and sexually assault her, but she woke up and started screaming during the attack. Nick said that he then grabbed a rock from nearby and started hitting Kelly in the head with it until she was dead. He then wrapped her head in a trash bag and went back to the bar. That's when he used Kelly's cell phone to text Justin that she had made it home safely, and then he threw her phone in a nearby river. A few hours later, he buried Kelly's body in the woods. David later told Crime Watch Daily that Nick was so perverted towards women that it was almost psychotic in his opinion. Nick agreed to lead David and his cadaver dog to the spot where Kelly was buried. He wasn't sure of the exact spot, but once they got close enough, the dog was actually able to lead them to a shallow grave. David started digging down a little bit and started to pull up pieces of Kelly's jacket, so he kept digging and they eventually found a bone. He continued to dig and eventually found Kelly's whole jacket, which he pulled back to reveal the horrifying truth that Kelly was in fact dead. Hours later, David contacted Detective Jeff Locklear and he went to the crime scene. Nick also confessed to this officer and that confession was caught on body cam. And the story was a little bit different than the one he told David, but it was mostly the same. He just seemed like he omitted a little bit of information. He said that everything was going fine that night at the bar until somebody told Kelly that he was a sex offender. And after Kelly found out, she pretty much became repulsed by Nick and basically told him, you know, to F off and leave her alone. Nick said that he snapped and zoned out and hit her, knocking her unconscious. And then he put her in his car and drove her to the camp. During this confession, though, Nick didn't say anything about sexually assaulting her. In fact, he explicitly said that he did not do that. He said he then went back to the bar after he knew Kelly was dead, and then he went back to bury her body at about 4.30 or 5 a.m. He said he just drove around until he found a random spot, and the spot that he buried her body was not any – there was no significance. It was really just some random spot that he found. When officers asked Nick if he wanted to lead them to Kelly's grave, he said that he didn't want to go back down there. So the officers ended up walking about two minutes into a heavily wooded area. They had to duck under tree limbs and climb over logs. And finally, they came upon the grave that David and his cadaver dog had found hours earlier. Kelly's family was completely blown away when they learned that David had taken this case on without any prompting and that he led to solving the mystery about what actually happened to Kelly. They were extremely grateful for everything that David did, and the police were equally thankful, stating that they couldn't have solved this case if it wasn't for David's involvement. One detective even said, quote, he can do things the police can't do. I'm glad he was persistent because it brings closure to Kelly's family, end quote. And like we said, this was such a, like, this was so much for this guy to take on, really not knowing whether or not Nick was guilty. So yes, in this case, it happened to work out that he was the hero who solved this crime. Right. But like you said, like, what if you're wrong and you're like, I don't know, it just seems a little... Well, you hear about that where somebody's wrong and they make somebody else's life like absolutely yeah, you know, awful. a problem mm-hmm. and, and they have no basis to do it. So it's great, absolutely wonderful. It worked out this time, but like... We definitely know stories where somebody's harassed. Yeah, absolutely harassed is the right word for that. So, um, yeah, I'm very glad for Kelly's family that worked out. But I don't know how often we should be doing this. Yeah. So on May 14th, 2014, Kelly's body was fully recovered in a dense and deeply wooded area off I-295. 
The area where she was buried was about four miles from Froggy Bottom's bar, and it was an area that had not been actively searched when Kelly first went missing. Nick also had no connection to the area where he buried her, so they had no clue to even look there. Kelly's family, of course, had a lot of mixed emotions about her body being found. Her sister Olivia said that, of course, it wasn't the answer they wanted, but at least they now knew that Kelly was coming home. Olivia said she just felt lost and sad, and that her initial reaction was one of anger more than anything else. She said, quote, I mean, why today of all days? What made you decide to say something? And on top of that, what made you wait so long? We literally have been through hell and back, begging and pleading and praying, just trying to bring her home, end quote. Olivia said that finding her sister didn't make her feel any better about the situation, but knowing that Kelly wasn't being held captive and tortured gave a little bit of relief. On May 31st, a public funeral was held for Kelly in St. Cloud, Florida. She had a military-style funeral with her coffin draped in a flag, military guards were present, taps were played, and Kelly's mom was presented with a flag. Kelly was buried at Mount Peace Cemetery. Nick pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and first-degree kidnapping on August 7, 2015. Pleading guilty meant that Nick was no longer facing the death penalty, which Kelly's family agreed to because they were just happy that they didn't have to go to trial. But make no mistake, the DA had every intention of making sure Nick stayed behind bars forever. He said, quote, the only way he leaves the Department of Corrections is in a pine box, end quote. The defense said, quote, this is a tragic situation. Nick was drunk and snapped when Kelly commented on him being a sex offender. Honestly, that whole statement just made me like internally rage out. Right? Just how dare you just to even like, how dare you even say something like that? I know it puts the blame on her for um, him snapping like, and for him being a sex offender, right? Like, right, the whole thing. Yeah, it's just totally disgusting. But they said that Kelly's comments caused Nick to put his good sense aside, and they also claimed that Nick wanted to confess earlier, but he couldn't work up the courage because he knew what he was going to have to face. Give me a break. On the same day that he pleaded guilty to the murder, Nick was sentenced to life in prison without parole. That's a pretty long time considering he was only 28 when he was convicted, so he had a long time to spend in prison. Nick did offer an apology to Kelly's family, saying he felt compelled not only by himself but by God to apologize, and he said that he hoped one day they could forgive him for what he did. Kelly's mom, though, was not having any of it. She didn't want to hear any of that, and she spoke very angrily to Nick, even demanding that while she was talking, he look at her in the face. And she said, quote, You, Mr. Holbert, I hate. You took something so precious from me. My heart is not big enough. I think I'm a good, forgiving person, but not when you brutally, violently, senselessly hurt my daughter. She said that she could not forgive something like that. Jonna also told Nick that Kelly didn't ever judge people, but she wished that she had so that she could have guessed, quote, what kind of demon you are. Kelly's brother, Matt, also got emotional and even had to be escorted from the courtroom after being reprimanded multiple times for outbursts. At one point, the judge actually thought it looked like Matt was going to attack Nick in court, so he had Matt escorted out. And Matt later said he was glad for that because he felt like he was having a really hard time staying calm and not assaulting Nick in the middle of the courtroom. Kelly's sister told the Fayetteville Observer, quote, everybody thinks this is closure, but it's not. Him going to jail for the rest of his life won't bring her back, end quote. 
And Nick is currently incarcerated in the Roanoke River Correctional Institution in Tillery, North Carolina. I guess this prison was recently renamed. It used to be called the Caledonia Correctional Facility prior to September 30th of 2021. So I don't know anything about prisons or their names, but maybe you're familiar with that prison. Do you mean me personally or, or a anyone? Because yeah, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if you're maybe if you're very well versed in prisons and you're like, I've never heard of Roanoke River Correctional, then that's why I'm telling you. It used now to be you called, know. Yeah, it used to be called something else. Um, so that's the story. This was such a really sad story to me yeah. for so many, so many reasons. But just because I just the thought of of anybody going out and having a good time and just innocently thinking, you know, we're just hanging out and this is what happens to them that night. Like, it's just so, it's very disturbing to think of this, something like this happening. Oh yeah. And the extra sad part to me is this bartender is trying to be helpful. Right. And I mean, they are being helpful. They're doing the right thing and saying, by the way, you know, you need to be careful, obviously not knowing any of this would happen. Right. Um, but that's like, ugh, I hate that so much because that's like, she needed to know that, but it, did not unfold the way obviously the bartender wanted it to. The whole thing is just really, really sad, and I'm I'm glad for her family that they were able to find her. But like they said, it doesn't bring her back. And that dang bounty hunter, that guy was working overtime for himself, right. I guess, in a right. three step plan. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. He decided to take it on himself and um, and do all that. Yeah. All right, Melissa, um, let's turn the page and move on to our last thing before we go for the week. I think the theme of this week is we're going back to school. We're going back to school. We're going back to school. We are going back to school. Well, we are down here in the South. I know, I guess, some of our northern, more northern listeners might have a little bit more time, but we are preparing for back to school. Yay. Yay. Sometimes we're just running out of ideas and this one works this week. So this is where we are. Mandy, you and I pulled some facts to quiz each other on, right? I um, think so. About, yes. Okay, good. Um, we're I never just entirely some sure facts. I didn't want to quiz you. I was just going to share some things. That you can share and I will make mine a little bit of a question because I really just added like, did you know that to the front of them? Okay. It's fine. It's not like real Okay. <laughs> Mandy, do you know why we give teachers an apple? I do actually. I've is actually, this one of yours? No, this isn't. <laughs> this wasn't one of mine, but I've heard this. I think. Well, I think. I think it was. Wait, didn't start back when teachers didn't make a lot of money and they didn't have like lunch or something, and so the students would bring them apples. Yeah, well, they still don't. But um, right. back then, they did. <laughs> to um, back in Denmark in the 16th century, they didn't have enough money for food. Teachers didn't, so parents would send their kids with an apple to school for them, Aww. which is very sweet. But can you imagine how many Terrible. apples you'd have yeah. to be like? Can we send something else? <laughs> something else, yeah. <laughs> so, Melissa, I know something that you and I always complain about is how much money it costs for our children just to go to school. Every year, every year when I start buying school supplies, I'm like, did I need to have two kids? That might have been over the top. (laughs) (laughs) This feels excessive. So how much money do you think the uh, average household that is doing back-to-school shopping is spending on back-to-school shopping each year? Oh, this is going to bum me out. Um, I mean, we did ours. I think my kids were in the 200 range, which – A piece? I still have to buy a calculator. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, well, is it? Well, I know it's just so expensive. Well, then I guess it's not that. Let's say five hundred dollars. 
So the average is actually in 2019, U.S. households with students in grades K through 12 are spending on average $700 on back to school shopping. That's insane. I guess that's like clothing and school supplies and everything, but it adds up. I'm telling you right now, it adds up. Like you said, they are like 200-ish each and then you got to buy calculators. I mean, you're getting up there, Melissa, you're getting up there. (laughs) Yeah. But also like I'm it's like a, a catch-22 because if we don't get it, then the teachers have to provide it. So then the teachers are pulling it out right. of their pocket and they're not getting enough apples. So this right. just isn't going to work. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I, oh, I'm i sorry. Everyone that's going through that, it's, it's rough. We feel for you. Mandy, before pencil erasers were invented, do you know a common way to get rid of pencil markings? And I'm going to tell you, this has to do with food. What piece of food Ew. could you use as like your own personal eraser? Um, bread? How do you know that? Well, that's the only thing that makes any sense. What else would you use? Honestly, I would have said cucumber, uh, kumquat. Um, yeah, I think bread because it doesn't, it's meat. not wet. I, well, I was trying to think of things that weren't wet because that wouldn't work. You can't use something that has moisture because it will ruin the paper. I mean, you know that, but I didn't know that whenever I first read it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so they would use a rolled up piece of white white bread and use that to erase. So, nice. I mean, you can have a snack while working, I guess. Nice. All right. My next one is more of a little fun fact. And I don't know if it works, but if you're going back to school or your students are going back to school, maybe you can have them test this out. If you chew the same flavor gum you chewed while studying for a test – For five minutes before taking the actual test, it can improve your memory and your results significantly. Oh, that's interesting. So if you're studying for a test, yeah. So if you're studying and you're chewing a piece of gum, chewing the same gum when you're taking the test can somehow activate like the parts of your memory that you use to study for this test. So I think that's very fascinating. I personally want to try this one. Hold on. Same piece of gum or the same no. flavor? <laughs> the same flavor. The same type of gum. Oh, it's like you've got to wrap it in a wrapper. Same. No, already been no, no, no. Gum. Ew. No, yeah. that would, I would be out immediately if I had to put already ABC gum in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking like it would – It that makes more sense to me. That's so sad. I'm so sad for me. Okay. <laughs> All right. The next one is – okay. Good luck, Melissa. Didascalinophobia is the acute fear of what, Mandy? Well, I can't be desks because that would be way too obvious. No, that would be – oh, yeah. But it's didascalinophobia. Uh, I have no idea. You know Chalk? that word. Chalk? No, it's the acute fear of going to school. Oh. Which affects <laughs> My about children point- are definitely among the suffering. Yeah. It affects 2.4% of children. Oh, wow. I believe it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, Speaking of uh, people who just don't like to go to school, um, I have mentioned many times that school, like middle school, high school, they weren't my favorite times. And I found out this fact today and learned that maybe I was just born in the wrong time because high school actually did not even exist until the Great Depression. Did you know that, Melissa? It was my fifth fact. Yeah, that is wild. I had no idea. Yeah, Um, So apparently, until the Great Depression, public high schools did not exist. Um, Kids only went up to the eighth grade unless they were very, very rich. But in order to slow the flood of young men entering the workforce during the Depression, high school was created, ensuring that the few jobs available went to adults and family men. How crazy is that? And then here's my question. Why did we keep doing it? (laughs) Why are we still doing it? (laughs) 
I know. And middle school is so the worst. But so like, the worst. Yeah. So high school to me was a little bit better. Not not the best, but yeah. better than middle school. But oh, why we just tack on? It is wild if you break down, if you break things down and you're like, wait, why did we start doing that? Okay. Because yeah. of this, we're not doing it. Yeah. Can I can I stop now? Right. But, I mean, um, it's no, a good I need thing. my kids to be in school till they're 18. Please. But I feel like oh back gosh. then, I feel like back then when they first started doing it, like it wasn't like it was now. I'm obviously they didn't just design an entire high school curriculum. They probably had them doing other things that were, you know, like more technical things, like actually learning skills for when they did go into right, the workforce. Right, right. And so I wish high school was actually more like that and not just more algebra. Like, <laughs> like how much algebra do you I really know. need? Turns out you don't need any. I have a whole rant I could go on about that. I have never used math above, like, I mean, I guess algebra sometimes, but you don't use any math higher than that. What's the, what is the reason that I have to keep taking math for that long? My personal theory is you only need that math if you are going to become a math teacher. That's my personal theory. I think that's the only reason you'll ever use it again. I'm kidding, and I'm going too far with this, and I'm sure people have to use it. But yeah, I've never had to use really anything. I have to get my daughter a TI-84 calculator. I was telling you about this. And so I like posted on my Facebook to ask if anybody had it, and they were like, no, she can just use a smartphone. I'm like, yeah. I thought so too. Like, why are we doing right. graphing calculators anymore? I had to buy graph paper. Let's yeah. do one or the other. Let me choose. Well, I guess they don't want them using their phones because then they they have their phones out. They're oh, yeah, for know, sure. They want them Dang it. to have a calculator so then they don't have access to a phone, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Fine. But whatever. But like, why are they still so expensive? I know. How is the technology not made it cheaper? Come on now. I know. I agree. I agree. This is just ranting. Well, I know. So there you have this it. This episode. <laughs> I know. That was it. That was it. I think we're done. Are we done? <laughs> we're good. That's fine. All right, guys. We will be back next week with a new story. I felt like that was a very abrupt ending. Thanks for yeah, listening. Yeah, and you – what <laughs> what happened? That ending just threw me off. We'll be back next week. It actually threw me off too. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.